Good morning, everyone, and we welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion. Thank you all very much for joining us today. We are recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church, Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, in the United States of America. We welcome you all. We'll start with our prayer. Uh, from page 15 of Christian Science versus Pantheism. May our Father, Mother God, who in times past has spread for us a table in the wilderness and in the midst of our enemies, establish us in the most holy faith, plant our feet firmly on truth, the rock of Christ, the substance of things hoped for, and fill us with the life and understanding of God and goodwill towards men. Mary Baker Eddy. Beautiful. Thank you, Florence. All right, in our watching point, Karen. Uh, number, watch number 296. Watch lest you believe that the scientific sense of giving is being manifested and demonstrated when one gives from a limited sense, source, or standpoint. True giving is demonstrated only when one recognizes God as the infinite source of all good and gives with the recognition that he is the channel through which this infinite source finds expression. Hence, he is giving God's riches and not his own. When one contributes to the cause, he must realize that he is putting his hand into God's pocketbook for the money and not his own. Beautiful. Thank you. Comments on that? Well, I started every time I opened my wallet, take out a charge card or cash or whatever. I now think of this. I like, this is God. It may look like a card or a lot, but it is all coming from God. So thank you. This is God's wallet or pocketbook, and I'm so grateful to be able to share what God has given me. Thank you. That's the thing, to share it. When I, Go ahead, Jen. When I first came here, I, you know, I had come from a really dark place, and Plainfield was such a light to me. I had this desire to, you know, to pay back the church and people who brought me here and God. But then after a while, it was a couple of years, I realized, like, you can't really pay back God because he's the one who's always given you stuff. But, you know, that, like you could find more to give back to him. So that was a, it was an interesting thought. And so since I've just done my best to do my work and be grateful for it. So. Thank you. Lauren? Also, one of the things that yeah. I teach her, um, oh, <laughs> one of the things that my, our teacher brought out in class was that every time you go to pay a bill, <clears throat> and of course back then you had to write out a check, but she said make sure that every time you write a bill for your telephone, your heating, your co- whatever, uh, be grateful be, that you can write the check. Be grateful where, you know, know that it's coming from God and be grateful for it. 
rather than think that there's that much left money in your bank account, be grateful before you write that check. Oh, I've never forgotten that. Yeah, that was something Mrs. Evans taught us, too. Always. Go ahead, Florence. Yeah, and to add to what you just said, it's also the sense of appreciation. You're giving it as an appreciation for what they've done for you. That that was interesting. Also, the only thought that is inexhaustible is God. So I learned, I learned that too. The inexhaustible source of everything. We reflect all good from Him. So, but that source is inexhaustible. That word meant a lot. That meant a lot to me. Thank you. Yes. <clears throat> I also love what Mrs. Evans taught us to be grateful for the service. That was Thank provided. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no limit to that. It's not depleted. It's a service. And it's something to be very, very grateful to God for. Yes. You're paying for a service and to be grateful for it. And I, I love the, in the watching point where it was read, yeah, that you reach into the pocket of, pocketbook of, of God for the money. And when you're knowing that, and there's a ceaseless flowing from him to you and then to others, because it's very important that you do share it. We know we talked about before how Mrs. Eddie gave to charity. She was always mindful of the needs of others, as the prayer says. So, and we should be as well. And, and when you, when you hold back and think you don't have and, uh, then you don't have, right? You don't have. Where Mrs. Eddy says that poverty is, is should be treated like any other thing, like cancer or anything else. It's it's not of God. It's a, it's a disease. Yeah, it's a disease. It's a state of thought, of lack. And we should never, uh, never accept lack in any form. With the story of the pie and the cheese, remember? She went out to eat and they gave her a pie, which said it would come with cheese. It did not come with the cheese, and she insisted. They had to go out and get cheese, I think. But then she said something like, first the cheese, then my life. <laughs> but in other words, she wasn't going to back down about anything. Everything had to be right. They had said it was coming with cheese. It was to come with cheese. Yeah, she said first First they'll take your pie, and then they'll take your life. Yeah, and she knew that because she was standing in such a important place where the arrows were aimed for flying. Yes, fast and furiously. And somewhere, and someone can look this up, is that beautiful quote of hers, you know, of all that she suffered. But then um, when she thinks of what God has given her, yeah. she says, I am the debtor, right? Right. I am the debtor. It's beautiful. Do we have that on our carousel under her? We should if we don't. Well, uh, we'll do that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I have all these finders. All right, so thank you for that uh, watching point. And then just a few things I wanted to mention. One, um, in expressing our gratitude, we are coming upon Thanksgiving. And our service here is the most holy time, and it's certainly the way to start your Thanksgiving day. I've noticed in some instances some of the numbers have come down 
uh, in attendance. So don't get so busy with other things that you're not putting the Father of all good first. It's just a quiet, holy time to be here. And, and of course, this was the only holy day that Mrs. Eddie has a service for. I remember Mrs. Evans always talking about, especially Wednesday evening, she'd have everybody's baking their pies, nobody's at church. <laughs> but we come on Wednesday, we come on Thursday. It's it's gratitude for first his things first. first things first. And then everything else is so much better. He has the same number of hours in the day as we have and the same temptations to face down that we have. So <laughs> <That's> <laughs> true. I, we do have that on there. That oh, quote. good. Can I read it? Yeah, then? it's from Miscellaneous Writings, page 382. The discovery and founding of Christian science has cost more than 30 years of unremitting toil and unrest. But comparing those with the joy of knowing that the sinner and the sick are helped thereby, that time and eternity bear witness to this gift of God to the race, or this gift of God to the race. I am the debtor. Thank you. That is our leader and how she thought. And I like I like to think of, and I like for you to think of, that we are in her household. And how would we behave ourselves? What would we do? And I do know one thing. They did not go to church in her household. They were too busy staying home, working for the world. But we do because we want to give this truth out to others. Um, and for 30 years, she never took a one day of vacation. She, no. Also, the church was in them, so. That's right. And the church is in us, yes, and we all have our website, but it's the idea of coming, not to get, but to give of your heart overflow on these occasions. Um, also, I, I just wanted to thank, you know, I was thinking about it. Um, most of our membership is from America, the United States of America, and I'm, I'm so grateful for Every single one of you, member or not, but participant. But we do have these um, pockets of, of real workers in various countries um, internationally, certainly in Canada, um, England, Australia. We have this dear couple in Sweden, Germany. Germany, yes. And, and dear Uta and Zari have been coming since 2013. And Mexico City, we have someone there. And then France, with Bertrand. And, and so who else, Florence, do you have? Argentina. It? How about Teresa? Teresa, yeah. I don't know what country she's seen, Teresa. Thank you. We just, Argentina, thank you. Mm -hmm. These people are working quietly, doing things, but I consider you bright lights in the area that you are in, bright lights of the true Christian science, and um, it will bring tremendous good to your your country. Pakistan. Pakistan, yeah. I mean, Pakistan. Switzerland. Switzerland. Yeah, it's wonderful. Any Anyone who 
his, I guess they've kind of shown their face. We, we know, and some of you working, translating and doing other things in these nations. I'm very, very grateful. And I'm grateful for everyone. France. Well, certainly France, yes. Uh, huh? Kenya is Oh, Kenya. Yeah, of course. Kenya. Yeah. I'm sure I've forgotten others, but yeah. Thank you. It's wonderful. It's growing. You <laughs> have to get a map. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. We should do that right here. Are we missing any? <laughs> membership committee? Yeah, membership committee. Yeah, we should get a map and have it. And then all the, how many countries does our website reach? They would, did you say? Oh, my goodness. Over 150 countries we reach. And I'm, I'm so grateful. And, and even though, you know, you don't hear everybody online, I mean, usually for the round table, we get anywhere from 130 to 170 people listening live. The, the, um, Bible study as well. And we had a wonderful Bible study yesterday. And these studies on Revelation, I think, are essential to your understanding and growth. I was so grateful for Izzy's testimony Wednesday, in which she says she's gone back to the very beginning and are listening. Partly why I decided not to put dates or years on these things is because they're timeless. They're not, they're not according to a time. What we talk about is, is timeless. So if you've missed any, you should listen. It will enrich you. And, um, I couldn't believe it was already 2015 we talked about Esther. <laughs> I know. It feels like we just did it. <laughs> it feels like we just did talk about Esther. So, um, I'm, I'm grateful for all this growth. That's my gratitude <laughs> for Thanksgiving and every day. All right. Our subject today is soul and body. And I would just like to briefly say, before we get into a lot of other things, that, again, this is, Mrs. Eddy is, has this subject because it is um, old theology. The old theology being that we have a material body, right? And there's a soul in your body. And then what your soul goes to heaven or maybe hell. I don't know. Or purgatory um, or wherever. And the body's just a husk. And the body's just a husk. And so, what is the truth of that? What does Mrs. Eddy say? The body is the embodiment of ideas. Yes. All right, ideas. Yeah. God's body. Soul is God. We are the expression of God. A body cannot contain soul, right? Correct. That's the, right. The, the finite does not contain the infinite. Mm. Impossible. Man is not material. He is spiritual. And in the lesson, citation 11, it says, Science reveals spirit, soul is not in the body, and God is not in man, but as reflected by man. And that's what Florence just said. The lesson ends with man is the expression of soul. The greater cannot be in the lesser. The belief that the greater can be in the lesser is an error that works ill. This is a leading point in the science of soul. that principle is not in its idea. Spirit soul is not confined in man and is never in matter. This is a really important point because of the Buddhism uh, 
the Middle East, or uh, I don't know what you would call the Asian influence, that's the whole thing, is that the spirit is in, in everything, and there's not this distinctiveness, and that and this idea that you are spirit, right? You know, I had a conversation with someone about this just recently, and that God and man are two separate. They're not... And God, you're not in God, but you have everything that God is. But it's, I didn't realize how aggressive, influential this idea that it was in everything. That's pantheism, right? Yes. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Mrs. Eddy states somewhere that the, the, the material body is not the man. Mm. In other words, what we see and feel here as a material body is not who and what you are. And that's the distinction. What, who and what you are is spiritual. You go around in a, in, a, in a body so that people can recognize you and see you and say hello and all that sort of stuff. So we don't bump into but it's, <laughs> So we don't bump into one another. Well, but, but eventually... But, but it is not the essence of who and what you are. And eventually all those those material... Accompaniments. Uh, yeah, will drop away, and you'll still have a body, and it'll be all spiritual, and, and you will recognize people, and you won't bump into each other. <laughs> and you'll have form, outline, color, yeah, all of that. But without the material accompaniments, Jeremy. Yeah, just, just free of the mistaken view of it. Yeah, it's a mistaken view. The definition it is body is the embodiment of right ideas. Yes. And in the glossary, Mrs. Eddy, she defines temple as what? Of the living God. No, temple in the glossary is body. Oh, the idea of life, substance, and intelligence, the superstructure of truth, the shrine of love. You should all know this definition. That's what your body is. It is the idea of life, substance, intelligence, the superstructure of truth, the shrine of love. You know, I get a lot of people not knowing how to think about their body, and it's important that you know that. And and what does the Bible say? Yes, what know ye not that ye are the temple of the living God? You need to know this about your body. When you think of body, that's what you think of. It's a temple of the living God, and it is wholly spiritual. How are you treating it? Are you abusing it? Are you, um, are you judging it by a material appearance? It's very important that you treat it like a temple of a living God. You don't abuse it. You make sure you take proper care of it. That's not anything wrong. You don't worship it, but you do take proper care, get eat properly, sleep properly, all those things while we're here, not abusing it. Now, if you can't eat or you can't sleep for some reason, well, then you'll be fine because God is our life. God is our nutriment. God is at all. If you, if for some reason you can't, um, normally you can. And then, um, 
Carrie sent something this several things this week, but I, I like this where she writes in in my Bible study preparation last night I read Revelation seven, sixteen, seventeen. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the light on them oh sorry, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of water. And then Reverend Kratzer had the following to say in his book, Revelation Interpreted. Whoever eats of material food and drinks of material water very soon hungers and thirsts again. But whoever thoroughly assimilates divine truth and love into his consciousness has them as continuing possessions, which never pass away, which never have to be relearned, but which are always ready in consciousness for use. Since the terms consciousness and life are practically synonymous, oh, that and that's um, truth and love, which are the support of consciousness, are the support of life and are living fountains of water. And she, she likens it to this week's lesson where in Matthew 6 about Mrs. Or, excuse me, Christ Jesus saying, take no thought for your life. That kind of thing, what you put on and all that. Because he clothes the lilies and cares for everything and everyone. And so that is true. We don't get obsessed with what we eat and make it into a big deal, but we're grateful for it. We thank God for it. I love that in the chosen. Every time they get up, they thank God. Every time they eat, even an apple, they thank God. Fruit of the vine, they're always thanking God. And for those who have assimilation problems, this is something to think about. Whoever thoroughly assimilates divine truth and love into his consciousness, are you assimilating life, truth, and love and taking it into your consciousness? Are you rejecting it through your fear and your negativity? Or are you being greedy and assimilating <laughs> more than you should? You take it in, you know, as a God-given in a right fashion. Not too much, not too little, but the assimilation. And then I looked up that word, assimilate. It's very interesting. I thought it meant something different. It said, to bring to a likeness, to cause to resemble. You assimilate these truths, and you become what? The likeness, and the likeness of God. And so will your body be. But if you assimilate something else... Fear, lust, envy, if you assimilate false beliefs, you're going to suffer the consequence. You're going to be like them. You're going to suffer the consequences of where they lead to. Fear is rejecting love, really. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a good one. It's rejecting love. Uh, you know, if your body's rejecting food or, or your what, whatever the assimilation problem is, what what is your thought here? 
Because your body assimilating, I love that thought that it, you know, you're becoming the image and likeness of God when you assimilate. And so it is with any so-called disease. It's just recognition that there is a need for a change in thought, a need to handle a false belief, a need to know better who and what you really are. You know, and there is, there's so much fear sometimes associated with food. You know, people think they have allergies, they can't eat this, they can't eat that, they're afraid of this, they're afraid of that. Once you start on that path, it's a rabbit's hole. You know that food is a blessing from God, and you thank him for it, and it can't harm you. And Mrs. Eddie says that in Science and Health. Remember the man who was, and actually, yeah. some, I think it was, and what, they were eating bread and water or something? Oh, like grams? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we should eat well as well as we can, not eat junk food. But um, but no, it's it's God's blessing, just as in the chosen, the fruit of the vine. You know, eat an apple. That's the fruit of the vine, right? Thank you, Father. Mm-hmm. And also in her hymn uh, 30, she talks about, Said by thy love divine we live, for love alone is life. I'll yes. that quite a bit Yes. Beautiful. Love alone is life. I I do that too. Sometimes that's my prayer when before I eat. But that doesn't mean we exist on air either. <laughs> Not at this stage. So very But if you see what he, he God has given that day or that meal as something you yes. know, from him, then you see it correctly. So again the view of it more than yes. It, it is divine love made manifest to you as food, which you need. Just like Jesus fed the multitudes when they were hungry. He was aware of their needs. Thank you very much. And after ascending, he, he met them on the shore with fish yeah. untold. Yes, so. yes, absolutely. And, I, you know, I've been thinking about something about how, you know, our book is Science and Health. And we talk about living the science, but I've been thinking lately we also have to live the health, the health part. <laughs> we do. And health has nothing to do with body, it seems to, but health is what? It's a condition. It's a condition of mind. That, that really takes fear away. Karen? Well, I was just going to say health means wholeness, completeness. Yeah. Right. It is spiritually whole and spiritually complete because there is no other completeness other than spiritual completeness. (laughs) And, you know, happy and healthy often go together. (laughs) And so... If you're not feeling happy, maybe you better see if you're feeling happy. Yeah. yeah. If you're not feeling healthy, make sure you're feeling happy. Okay. <laughs> they go hand in hand, happy and healthy. Little child, rosy cheeks, happy and healthy. Yeah. That means by metaphysical. Yes. I can't remember that's been. I got cold. Oh, right, right. A little girl, her cheeks would be fattened with metaphysical. I don't remember. I should have. Yeah. That's a lovely hygiene, I think it is. Metaphysical hygiene, I think you're right. Yes, thank you. 
So, and this, I thought this was, Carrie sent some interesting articles going to share. This one is um, put on the whole armor in a 1900 issue, of, I guess the journal. It's it's a, oh, it does. Okay. Because yeah, it's got a specific date, so it's a Oh, thank you. One. Yeah. Okay. It's called Selected. Put on the whole armor. In Holman's Hunts, great picture, the shadow of death, which represents Jesus as a young man in the carpenter shop, stretching himself at the close of a weary day, and with his outspread arms, making the shadow of a cross on the wall, there's a minor feature that is full of suggestion. On a shelf is a collection of books in the form of rolls, such as they were used in those days. They represent the library Jesus used, the books of the Holy Scriptures. They are there in the shop where he worked, suggesting that in his leisure moments he turned to them to ponder their great truths and store away their principles in his memory and in his heart. Assimilation, you see. No doubt the picture truly represents the daily habit of his life in those quiet years when he was preparing for his great public work. Thus it was that when the tempter came, there was no need for feverish haste in preparing for defense. The weapons were ready, and the victory was easy. From this example of Jesus, we should learn to prepare in advance for temptation by filling our hearts in the days of youth and early life with the truths of God's word. The soldier cannot learn the art of war when the battle is upon him. If he is not already trained, he can only suffer defeat. When the tempter has come, there will be no more time to search texts which to ward off his blows. But if we have sacred words treasured in our hearts, it will be easy to draw from them from from to draw them forth as arrows from a quiver for use at any moment of danger. Reminds me of what Jesus said about you do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Yes. Mm-hmm. And as we've said, when he was tempted, he kept saying, it is written. He knew it. He assimilated these truths. They were his. He made them his. He used them. They were practical. One thing I love very much about Mrs. Evans was her practical way. She she was not what we would call, or what she would call, airy-fairy. Okay, it wasn't all these quotes of love and and um even you know this is Eddie said to Martha Wilcox when Martha Wilcox was doing all these quotes what did she say stop flying around up there stop flying around up there while the enemy's shooting holes in you so in turning what well the head 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 out of the clouds head out of the clouds yes. So, in turning to one of Mrs. Evans's sermons called Evil Has No Local Habitation. Now, this is how she makes things practical. So, people can use them. And I love that about her. She said, in Science and Health, Mrs. Eddie states, quote, Evil has no local habitation nor name, end quote, page 537. You can apply this statement in any situation that may arise. Evil has presented pictures to all of us of some very inharmonious, disturbing situations. 
When you are tempted to be disturbed, remember, evil has no local habitation. Evil can't live anywhere. It can't live in anybody's house, and it can't call itself by anybody's name. Evil has no local habitation. Evil has no location in anyone's chest. No local habitation. It has no habitation in anyone's stomach, heart, head, or any other organ of the body, in an arm, a leg, or a foot. Evil has no local habitation. This is the most wonderful treatment. She goes on. Evil has no name. It can't call itself headache. Can't call itself flu. Can't call itself cancer. Can't call itself fear, disease, or trouble. It can't call itself stupidity. There are no stupid mortals in God's kingdom. This strong statement of truth wipes out evil's lying claims. I've seen this statement bring healing in many cases. This is how she taught us. This is why I, I don't have too much patience when people write or talk a lot and don't say much. It needs to be practical. You need to use it. You need to bring it home. Otherwise, what good is it? Can and remember, it's a science, which means it always works. Which means we need to learn how to work it. And if we don't learn how to work it, we shouldn't talk it. <laughs> right. It's true. Air will shoot holes through you. And if you're going through some divine experience and, and you feel God is talking to you, then it's it's very wise to keep that to yourself because um, other people might not understand it or appreciate it or, or whatever. We were taught that, too, sometimes after class, that we don't come home and say someone who's been home the whole time and didn't want to go to class, start blabbering all about the wonderful things you learned. Because they're not going to appreciate it. They weren't there. They didn't earn it. So keep it to yourself and nurture it. Well, Miss Zetty had the discovery, but then went out and proved it before she. Yes, out, so. absolutely. So if you haven't proved your statements, better to just be quiet for a while until you have proved them. And I know all of you are proving many things. And truly, what I ask of others. And and for the most part, what I say are things I, I've proven over these years. Otherwise, I have no right to talk about it. It, it lacks clout if you if you yeah. haven't proven it. Like Ms. Zippy says, you treasure of truth and love in science and health. And as we collect those, we feel, you know, so blessed and have something to share. Thank you. That's it. And that's why our testimony meetings can be so beautiful and meaningful because you speak from your heart of things you have demonstrated and mean something to you. And it just, oh my gosh, it's wonderful. And it doesn't have I to started, be. And just I'm so sorry, Mary. Go ahead. Well, I, I was starting to read The Healer by Keystone last night. And I'm right in the beginning, but I found it very interesting when this is, when Jesus told, um, many of those that he healed, the blind man, the, um, the one at the pool, that after they were healed, to go and tell no one. 
And um, in the, the healer in the book, it was pointed out how that to protect um, what just happened, to protect it within, keep it quiet within yourself. And until it really becomes um, something that's unshakable in you, I mean, it, you know, the it's not emotional anymore what happened. You now, it, it becomes it's so deep down within you that no matter what is said about it or believed or not, you it, you can't be moved off of it anymore. It's just, you so good. I found that interesting based on what you're saying, that, you know, keep these things close to you while you're working it out or even after you've had a, heal, had a healing because it will try to, a mortal mind will try to attack it right away. But um, I, I just thought that was a really good one. Lesson. Yes. Could I say something? Yes. Hang on. Here. Sari. <clears throat> one thing about that you have to be careful of, though. Some people use that as an excuse why they never give testimonies. That's exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> Eventually, you need to talk about it and praise God for it, and and know it established. But Whoops. but Mrs. Mrs. E- Mrs. Eddie tells us in her textbook what the very best sermon is, doesn't she? Yeah. Footsteps of truth. What is, wait what, one moment, Sarah. What, what what is the best sermon? The demonstration. Demonstration. The best sermon ever preached is truth practiced and demonstrated by the destruction of sin, sickness, and death. And once you do that and feel, you know, sure of it, you definitely should get up and and thank God and or maybe thank God for other things that have happened that you're very grateful for before you give this certain testimony. Otherwise, if there's fear involved and you wait too long, then whoops, guess what happens? <laughs> you you have to know it never was true in the first place. It can't come back. There's no such thing as malpractice. When you're knowing these things, you can testify freely, knowing your your um testimony is secure in God. Okay, Zary. I just wanted to add a call out for the healer. Uh, from Keystead. Uh, it is last night I had a problem sleeping as well and I worked with gratitude and I also saw the humility and love that Mary Baker Eddy had in each of her healings when she also uncovered the era. She didn't play this, oh, that's a nice little story and we'll just pass it off. And I, I love that about her. That was really a level of unconditional love that you also saw with Jesus when he whipped the, you know, uh, the money changes out of the synagogue. We have to have that about us to take the stand and not to pretend it's not so. Thank you so much. That is so true because this is, again, this is what we would find very prevalent in the organization. And I remember the first time I met Mrs. Evans, I was like shocked by the way she talked. I said, "Oh my God, you're not being loving." <laughs> but she, she would call a spade a spade. She would speak out about an error, and but never in, never as person, uh-huh. never as person, but is exposing the error, the animal magnetism that was handling somebody or something. Um, and that is how she dealt with it. Because once it is exposed, it can be dealt with. And I'm telling you, it is over and over in science and health in all her writings. So it's had a veil cast on 
because these people that just want to say, oh, my gosh, don't say anything like the Holy Moses. You're not being loving. <laughs> we are being loving. And it's only fear that is afraid to bring it out from undercover or and handle it. Or wickedness that doesn't want it exposed. This is really true. And um, I was speaking to somebody who goes to a church in Clayfound. And she said, oh, we don't let people talk. Um, she she asked me one of the reasons why I liked uh, Plainfield. And I said, well, there's a 24 uh library. And also you can give your testimonies internationally. And she said, oh, that's too intimate. And said, there's nothing intimate about believing in God and working with God. That's ego. <laughs> <laughs> and as Ari's very good at speaking her mind. <laughs> that's good. Well, another something I've given before, but it's very important in um, having a better understanding of body is in Martha Wilcox's addresses, first article on body, right at the end. And that is, do not fear anything that your present body seems to be doing. Every cell, fiber, tissue, <coughs> or muscle of the human body exists right now in the one mind as idea. And each idea is proclaiming I am reflecting God. I am expressing God. Every cell and fiber of my being is expressing the sovereignty of God or proclaiming I am. Mm -hmm. Now, that's what you do after you expose the era. Then you blanket it like you would a flame. You douse it and, and destroy it with the absolute truth of your being. That is handling it. You don't just jump to that part, scared to death to say anything about what might be wrong. Oh, but get it out to be exposed, to be healed, then douse it with the truth, which we have plenty of. Everyone understand that, I'm sure. Now, we have in the lesson, you know, beautiful, um, all the things we love, Psalm 23, Psalm 121. Um, yes, the beautiful Sermon on the Mount, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall wear. Um, and again, I have something beautiful from Carrie about seek first. This is from an 1894 issue of the Christian Science Journal, and it's by William Channing. Seek ye first the kingdom of good, the kingdom of light, of spiritual understanding, the kingdom of love, and love in the plenitude of its infinity will care for you in every needed way. You will not lack nothing which is for your good. You will share the abundance of the infinite larder, the great storehouse of eternity. I have shown you the way. Walk ye in it. Obedience to the commands of divine love speak through the appointed and the anointed one of each error. This is the first test of first seeking. And those who withstand this test, all these things shall be added unto them. To live content with small means. To seek elegance rather than luxury. Refinement rather than fashion. To be worthy, not respectable. Wealthy, not rich. To study hard, think quietly, 
Talk gently. Act frankly. To listen to stars and birds, babes and sages with open heart. To bear all cheerfully, do all bravely. Await occasions. Hurry never. In a word, to let the spiritual, unbidden, and unconscious grow up through the common. This is to be my symphony. So that's just a very beautiful description of how we should be. That peace that comes with God. A peace and a poise. Never hurried, never rushing. Again, if you're hurried and rushing, you can't assimilate, can you? Things are just flying by you. You need to slow down to assimilate. Not too slow. <laughs> Naturally. It's the rhythm of God. And it's most important. So we have that beautiful um, 23rd Psalm. And Nancy, did you want to speak to it a little bit? She wrote about it on the last week's. Yeah. Well, um, the first, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for love is with me. Love's rod and love's staff, they comfort me. And I was, in studying it, the word walk jumped out at me. And um, in Matthew Henry, we walk through the valley. We do not run through it in fear, nor are we mired in it, or do we get lost and trapped there. It is but a walk in this valley, a gentle, pleasant walk. They shall not be lost in this valley, but get safely to the mountain of spices on the other side of it. And of the shadow of death, it is but the shadow of death. There is no substantial evil in it. The shadow of a serpent will not sting, nor the shadow of a sword kill. And the definition for shadow in Webster's was an imperfect and faint representation, opposed to substance, a slight or faint appearance. So therefore, I know that I will walk through the valley of the shadow, the illusion, the slight or faint appearance of death, fearlessly, with God, ever-present love beside me, his rod guiding me and his staff comforting me, so that I may dwell with him in oneness, forever. Nothing to fear. Thank you. Beautiful. Beautifully said. Matthew, Henry, and you. Thank you. <laughs> so, yes. And you see, as you're reading and you're assimilating these truths, then nothing will throw you off guard. I often say to myself, if something does seem to be fearful, just that I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. What more do you know? I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And that, because sometimes in having difficulty to, to sleep at night, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. And they're beautiful pastures. And he surrounds you with his love. He's guarding you. Can let go. Um, he's got the night watch for you. If, if you need to get up at night, you can, of course, to work. But generally speaking, um, I like that idea. He maketh you, you know. Again, don't be rushing around. Don't think you can go 24-7 without rest and food and other things. 
assimilating this truth. And then that word lead means to guide by the hand, to show the way. And he, he leadeth you in all those ways. It's twice he leadeth you. He leadeth you beside still waters, and he leadeth you in the path of righteousness for his namesake. And the, and the beautiful definition of righteousness in the 1820 dictionary, purity of heart, rectitude of life, conformity of heart and life to the divine law, nearly equivalent to holiness, comprehending holy principles and affections of the heart, and conformity of life to the divine law. It includes all we call justice, honesty, and virtue with holy affection. In short, it is true religion. So he leads you to the paths of this beautiful description of righteousness. And why? For his name's sake. For his glory. His glory. And Chardell, you want to write or tell us what you said about 121? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, it was such a beautiful and I was so grateful. And uh, I, I understand even a little bit better about who we really are, spiritual being, our real self. And Mary Baker Eddy says, when humanity does understand this science, it will become law of life to man. And then Psalm 21, he preserves us. But whence cometh my help? It's all from God. And it says, the Lord be from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. Thank you. Beautiful. <clears throat> the shade upon thy right hand. The right hand is the side not carrying the shield. So God's God got you, got your back. Okay. And that idea of smite, you know, the sun shall not smite thee. That word is not a nice word. It can mean to kill you. The sun can't harm you. The moon can't harm you. All these beliefs we have. No, God is with us, and all is well, and I will fear no evil. Now we're going to end on the beautiful excerpts from Mrs. Eddy's article, Body, which you can find on our website. This is uh, by Mary Baker Eddy, Body. The term mind and body literally means God and man, for man is the expression of mind and the manifestation of mind is the embodiment of mind. Therefore, man is God's body, and there is but one God. Body is therefore the aggregation of spiritual ideas, forever controlled and governed by the law of life, harmonious and eternal. This understanding of perfect body is the savior of the belief of body and is the law of recovery to any and every claim of error. If the mental atmosphere is dark and dense, we see but dimly, and are not able to perceive the perfection that is. Man does not, by mental effort, bring God into manifestation. Neither does he, through wrong thinking, prevent God's manifestation. God is and God is manifest, and it is not in the power of unenlightened personal thought or mental effort to obstruct or hinder the activity of God, or to mar or to deface the perfection of God's creation.
The only thing that depends upon my thinking, the only thing that is affected by it, the only thing that responds to it is my vision, my realization. I may be ignorant of the truth of the body, but that does not alter the body itself. It is whole and perfect now, not because I think it is, but because it is God manifest. We live in a universe of perfect form. Not only our body, but all that is formed is literally the body of God and is perfect now. God's glory and perfection are everywhere visible to him that hath eyes to see. All that we need to do, and it will keep us busy, is to train our thought faithfully and persistently in the acknowledgement of the truth of God's presence. Train it to judge righteous judgment, to see God and God only, to think God and God only. Having accepted the omnipresence, hold to it no matter what the apparent condition may seem to be. Entreating yourself, never deal with appearances or symptoms. Do not center your thought upon organs or functions. Infinite substance, power, intelligence, and activity are in that place and do not need your suggestions. Do not try to formulate in thought the perfect body. Stop thinking about the body or trying to picture it as perfect from your standpoint. Our highest perception of the body today is far short of what body really is. Stop tinkering with it mentally. Loose it and let it go. Just know that it is God's body, and that God is this moment and every moment forming it or bringing it forth according to his word, his divine idea. Jesus recognized Lazarus as an undying manifestation of God. You are that undying and perfect manifestation of God. Mary Baker. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you.